everybody and welcome back to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson, and our super producer, Riley Bray. You know what, guys? Last week we promised you a guest in this episode, but you know what? We're shaking things up in year five of BCC, and mm-hmm, that's code mm-hmm. for our guest canceled last minute. So <laughs> <laughs> no guests this week. No worries, because we have a full show planned for you guys anyway. Um, I'm just happy that we're all back together. It was so exciting to see everyone's reactions on Instagram last week uh, and saying, and you guys saying how happy you were that BCC was back. So we really appreciate it, and we're just as happy as you guys are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. It's great to be back. We missed you. We missed you. And how about that fucking fresh remix of our intro by sun eaters gave us a little yeah, uh, facelift yeah i love it absolutely yeah big fan I, and the new and the new vo you make an excellent squatch michael well done. well thank I mean, you it was a real sasquatch what am i saying yeah what yeah. are you talking I, about I, I mean i i love your squatch but there i i hold a special place in my heart for the for the pete gardner sasquatch but uh i think you did a really nice job with it you know, yeah. Pete will never be replaced. Right. His it'll always be there in the first 183 episodes to hear. Uh, <laughs> I can't match Pete. Pete did that on the fly in the very first episode we ever did. Um, yeah. We could have kept it, but I felt like we needed to add Riley's name to the opening theme after you know almost 200 episodes. 200. Yeah. Oh my God! Right, I didn't even realize. Yeah, Riley totally. wasn't in there because that was before Riley. We recorded that before Riley even said anything, let alone composed oh music God. on the podcast. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. It was just some guy you hired to record you guys talk about aliens. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> look, look what you've done. To my I life. know. <laughs> if we would have had to continue to pay Riley to uh, help us record and produce this, this podcast would have been done four and a half years ago (laughs) (laughs) it's just so funny to think back on the early days when we did this and riley was just sitting there without a mic and and sometimes he would just nod and hold his thumb up like we're like oh cool riley riley agrees and you know he kept doing that so much we were like let's get a mic on him because clearly he has some input and stuff to say here oh no doubt about it i just i just remember seeing his bookshelf and going oh well, this guy really is fucking into this stuff. He's fucking <laughs> perfect for this. It was um, fate. It was fate. It was totally fate, man. Um, yeah. So glad to have you. Well, thanks for getting me into the intro there, Squatchy. Yeah. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And then, you know, since we rarely tell ghost stories, unless it's an, a guest or an L file, then uh, I change it to a, high, a story of high strangeness or two. So, you know, just these little... Also. Milestone markers to let you know the show is ever evolving, and uh, I'm happy we got that refresh. I want to thank Sun Eaters for that. Um, why don't we do a little clubhouse keeping? Oh, wait, before we do that, guys, 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 
Mm-hmm. By the time this episode airs, I'll be really late to the party later than I already am. But I have to ask you two, are either of you watching Yellow Jackets on Showtime? No. Oh, uh-uh. I haven't heard of it. Oh, oh. Uh, I've seen the promos <laughs> for it. It's pretty good. Oh, this is an APB to all Club Scouts of all timelines that if you're not watching Yellow Jackets, get on it. It is right wow. up our alley. That's okay. all I'm going to say about it. And, and you might start watching and go, what is he fucking talking about? Trust me, it's right up our alley. Um, I don't want to say too much about it other than it stars uh, Juliette Lewis, Melanie Linsky, um, Christina Ricci. It's awesome. It's got a little bit of like Lost and a bit of Alive, that uh, movie about the soccer team that crashed in, in, in like. Oh, the, yeah. That was got great. Pieces of that. It's like a survivor story. It's a flashback story. It's, it's a mystery. It's very cool. Um, if you don't have Showtime, I think on Apple TV Plus, if you've never ordered it before, you can get a month for free. Um, or it's like 10 bucks for the month, which is cheaper than buying the full season, you know, on Amazon prime or something. So I think it's worth it. Dip in, dip out, check out the show. I know, I know we have listeners listening to this right now who have already finished season one. I haven't yet. That's all that's out. It just wrapped up a couple weeks ago. I'm getting caught up. Um, Mm. I know we have listeners who are super into the show that are nodding, nodding their heads along and, and, and in agreement with this. So, Cool. Just a nice. little TV alert. Check out Yellow Jackets. I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, all right. Clubhouse keeping. You guys know BCC merch is available at wearecampfire.media. Just smash that shop button and fire away. Or click the link in our bios on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club and on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod. If you aren't already following us on Instagram, we throw up all of our visual aids for each episode over there. So you'll want to give us a follow uh, to stay up to date with all things BCC. And speaking of keeping up with a BCC, support the podcast and receive three bonus episodes every month plus the occasional goodie over on our Patreon, BCC The Other Side. Last week, we dropped the next episode in our Northern Fried series, A Story of High Strangeness from Bryce about the Garson Invaders. A really cool uh, UFO story I never heard before. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. Plus, we dropped a little collector's item last week, the full instrumental track of the new BCC theme, Refresh, Come Alone, BCC Double Deuce Remix by Sun Eaters. And, wow, they're uh, getting it done. Yeah, as far as I know, the other side is the only place where you can download that track. So a big shout out again to Chris Jean, Scott H over at Sun Eaters and Lotus Pool Records for that gem. Visit patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club and sign up for five bucks a month. Become an official club scout and help keep the BCC going. And finally, finally, you can show your love for the show. Show your love for the show by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. It helps get the show to more people. If you do, we might read it on the air like this one Riley is about to serenade us with. Mel Demess writes, It's everything you've been looking for. Paranormal talk where they don't talk about everything too seriously. They just have a good time. Five stars. See, Mel the Mess gets it. Mm-hmm. That's that is like a perfect five star review. I wish everyone had that attitude. Listening to this show, we're talking about shit, not taking it too seriously. We're just here to have a good time. 
That's us. Am I right, boys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here yeah. for a good here for a good time, not for a long time. You know what I'm saying? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fret not uh over the fact that we have no guests because you know what, guys? It's the end of the month. This is traditionally when we would do a full L Files episode, but since we've just come back, we're gonna read a couple. Just a couple listener stories in the first half of the show. I picked some good ones from uh, the old Gmail inbox. If you're listening at home and you have a personal story of high strangeness that you want to share with us, please write to us at BigfootCollectorsClub at gmail.com. Mark it L-Files for us so I can put a little star next to it and then put it in the folder uh, that I flip through when I want to find a spooky story from our listeners. Bryce, would you like to kick it off tonight with a story of high strangeness from the L-Files? Absolutely. Let's do it. Here we go. Greetings, you fine dude nuggets of the universe. I know that many a listener has waxed poetic on the shadow person phenomenon, but I had an experience that was quite different. It also correlated with a dream experience I had later as well. Well, many moons ago, back when I was in college, I was dog-sitting for my parents when they were out of town. I no longer had a bed, bedroom, so I was laying on the living room couch. (laughs) Nice, nice. They turned your bedroom into an office, I hope. Uh, That's what I'm going to do. Dad's gym. Dad's gym. (laughs) My children's room. Two man caves. Here we go. Yeah, you the already house- have an office man cave. What are you talking about? I'm going to have three. Yeah, they they, <laughs> I, they keep your shit off my desk, son. God, this is my desk. This is where I work. Can we All turn right, one into our bed, Dad? <laughs> Can we turn I'm one tired. into? <laughs> Sorry, I keep stepping on your bit. No, no I, I should on your bit. No, I'm apologizing. I was by, asking. By all means, good sir. Carry on. Can we turn it into one of them into our shared toy room? Mm, oh yeah, that's not our shared toy room. <laughs> yeah, I'll like make give you like a backdoor uh, entrance, you know, so, mm-hmm. with your own key. Yeah, not a yeah, bad we'll idea. We'll have a climate controlled. We'll have like two um, glass cases facing each other with all of our favorite action figures in there. Can it serve as a as a weed smoking room as well? Yeah, we'll set it up. It'll look sort of like a dispensary with all the glass cases, but it's like yeah. action figures. You oh, know, so we can okay. have like a glass cabinet running along the wall. And then, like a yeah. like a median, like a kitchen island, and then that's where yeah. all that's where all the the goodies will be. If you know what I mean. I I'm just gonna need you to to sort of maybe call Don and see if that would be okay. You know what? In my I'm mind, sh- she's already left you, and I have to move in, and this is like an odd couple situation. And no kids in the toy room. We'll call. We'll call your. Ha- we'll call it the twin geckos. That's that's what the room will be. No, after Stoner and Weep from uh, last week's episode. That's pretty good. Okay, a lot of love for those geckos, by the way. Oh wait, real. I I know. I'm sorry, uh, listener. Quick thing that's been bugging me all week long about your gecko story. Right. When you (laughs) said you released them into the canyon, you said that as if we knew what canyon you were talking about was oh, it right. <laughs> was it the grand canyon was it laurel no, canyon where did no. you release what canyon did it, you put these geckos in it was runyon canyon a popular okay. hiking spot here in los angeles okay, oh. okay. yeah hip geckos yeah yeah, yeah. they nothing probably but, met an agent while they were there you know you, you never know what but, happened to those geckos nothing but the best for them 
okay, so here we go. The house is set up where you can see from the living room through the kitchen to a sunroom extension. Just like in classic sleep paralysis, I was just beginning to fall asleep when way down by the sunroom, I noticed the appearance of an entity. No. It was about eight feet tall, almost as tall as the ceiling. No. The entire body form was pure shadow or almost like a void. It had long black hair that covered its face and hung near the waist. It creeped slowly through the kitchen, and I was completely paralyzed with fear and unable to move. Closer and closer it came, seeming like it was taking minutes of just pure terror. Even close, I couldn't make out any face or features. Then, when it finally reached me, it put a soaking wet washcloth in my mouth. What the fuck? Yeah. And at that moment, it disappeared. And I immediately reached for my mouth. No washcloth and no sign of the entity. Just a lot of not being able to fall asleep after that. Around the same time in college, I had a dream that seemed to last for weeks. But it was fully encompassed in one night of sleep. I was recruited by a secret order of psychics slash occultists tasked with fighting shadow entities fuck yeah fuck yeah you were recruited that's a good Uh, comic book right there. i was just gonna say took the words out of my mouth eventually my dream led me to a decrepit apartment building where i fought a shadow entity with my mind it seemed more of a shadowy mist or cloud so different than my sleep paralysis experience eventually i died in my dream and i immediately woke up have not had any shadow figure encounters since then. Just a lot of reflection. P.S. I'm a Nebraska boy, so if you guys haven't heard of the 1967 UFO encounter near Ashland, Nebraska, as reported by Herbert Schimmer, Shermer, you should check it out. It's crazy. And I also have a comic made by Michael Jasorka that details the event. Audio recordings from Herbert himself can be found about the event. Thank you guys for the supremely kick-ass show, Jackalope Jake. Jake, thank you for that incredible letter and vivid, horrifying details of your story. And and thanks for the heads up on that uh, possible story of high strangeness. I'm going to highlight that for sure. What the a- washcloth is too scary. Yeah. I, I mean, what the that. fuck, dude? Fuck that. That no, is yeah. fucked up. Yeah. Like... The specific detail of that is one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. I do not like it. It was bad enough from the entity's description. Oh, mm. no, yeah. thank you. And it also feels like because it went through the kitchen, it was actually like a dish rag and not a washcloth. But, right. for, but for some reason, maybe this is because I have like a memory of doing this as a kid, but like, I feel like I know what it's like to suck on a washcloth and I don't like it. (laughs) No, that's no good at all. It's an unforgettable mouthfeel. A real U M F. If you ask me, (laughs) unforgettable mouthfeel. I'm pulling up, uh, Jake, I'm pulling up my possible episodes notes, and I'm going to attach that in. Yeah, there. put that one in there. That sounds right, cool. You know I love That's a weird, cool. weird UFO story. Um, Jake, I don't know. Maybe you were actually recruited to fight shadow entities in some other dimension uh, that you visit in your dreams. Seems like a cool thing. However, 
this letter also debunks the the age old myth that if you die in your dream, you die in real life. He yeah, did drop no. that very casually. He's like, yeah, and then I died and I woke up. Like, yeah, no, I, no description of how or what. <laughs> totally, I was thinking that too. I wonder if he just like just barely or just woke up right before he died. I don't know. That's he said eventually I died. Did he die of old age? Did he? Was it really instead of weeks? It was years <laughs> and years, and he lived like a whole life, and then he died in his sleep from old age because it, it literally just says eventually I died. Yeah, I don't Jake, know. Jake, mm. that's the one detail we needed that you left out. Hit us back. <laughs> Clarify that first, please. We have notes, yeah. Yeah, everything else is great. Ready ready to send over to Marvel. Um, all right, I have one right here. Hello, Michael, Bryce, and Riley. On one of your L files, there was a story about a weird ghost presence while the listener was experiencing their parents' divorce. This changed my perspective on the weird shit that happened in my childhood home making me think that this dark energy might have been manifested by my parents' own negative energy. I mean, look, already I want to say if we could all look back on on our upbringing and just blame a ghost, it would it would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Easier on our parents, too, really, yeah. when you think about it's, it. Yeah. It's not their You're fault. You're off the hook. It was yeah. ghosts. Ghosts, oh. just a negative feedback loop between mom and dad and some ghosts. Some backstory. My family moved into a two-story, four-bedroom house where we lived for five years. We moved in when I was eight, my sister four, and my mom was pregnant with my little brother. Those five years were very difficult times for my parents. There were a lot of arguments between them, and I'm sure the added stress of a newborn did not help. I experienced so many weird things at this house that to this day, every time I have a nightmare, it is set in the house. The strange thing about these nightmares is that the source of the fear that I'm experiencing is always different. Could be a witch, demon, ghost, poltergeist, alien colony in the backyard, you name it. Guys, we got some vivid dreamers on this episode. But the location never changes. After speaking to my siblings about their experience, they said they also have nightmares to this day that are set in that house. Back to the real-life stuff I experienced. The first day we moved in, my entire family walked the home excitedly, opening all the doors, claiming our bedrooms, etc. When we came across the bathroom... Ooh, it's like when you're moving in in the real world. When we came across the bathroom, the door was locked. We all thought it was weird because I had already been in that bathroom earlier, so we thought maybe I just accidentally locked it. I kept trying at the handle, and I was convinced I had not locked it. So when I tried it again, I said, this doesn't make sense. It's not like a witch locked it. At that moment, the door was unlocked, and my family just stared at each other in shock. Okay, I'm just going to say it. (laughs) A witch ruined your parents' marriage. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this being... Our introduction to the house, you can imagine how frightened I was as an eight-year-old to be living here. Now, I'm not sure if it was my fear that led me to feel there was something in my closet, but every night I would go to bed with a weird feeling in my stomach. I had a walk-in closet that also had the entrance of our attic in it. Oh, no. I always felt like I was being watched and had to run out of my closet anytime I had to grab something. It wasn't always like this, but I remember I remember the feeling that I would have in my stomach to this day, and it made me feel like I had to get out of that room as soon as possible. When I have nightmares about that house, I have the same feeling in my dreams. 
For the next five years, we did not experience any hard evidence of ghosts or haunting, just weird noises here and there, and maybe a sudden door slam, which could always be explained by someone else or something else. Until around my 13th birthday, when the scariest shit happened. For my birthday, I was gifted the first-generation iPhone. Divorcing parents' guilt, gift. They were sleeping in separate rooms by this point. Oh, man. Being a teenager with an iPhone, I was taking pictures constantly. One night, I was in my mom's room, and I was taking random pictures of my little brother while he played on his Nintendo DS. When I looked at the photo, I noticed a weird blue face kind of looks like the ghost from the grudge in the reflection of the window. I attached the picture so you can let me know what you think it is. And if you're listening at home, I will put this on the Instagram. If I have permission from uh, the writer in her um, guys, you have that photo. What do you think? There's something weird. There is definitely what looks to be a sort of uh, face peering in from the window. Yeah, I don't like that at all. No, it is very. It's very face like, like kind of like a pale face, too, mm-hmm. like white face with like I'm dark features. It's, yeah, that's uh, weird. I could see the, uh, you know, sort of the the eyes and the, the mouth and the. It yeah, almost looks a, like a mask. You know what I mean? Like a like a mask of like a like a cherubin like baby mask with the eyes hollowed out and sort of yeah. transparent and blue. Yeah, it's creepy. Creepy. I don't know. Yeah, Riley, the, 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 always like, you know, you like always see faces. You know, we're just like, we our brains do that. So like, try to not see it as a face. Like, could that just be light refractions and stuff? Yeah, sure. but, yeah. But wasn't it interesting that Bryce, before we recorded, you opened it up and you went, "Oh, what's that in the window?" Like you yeah. instantly saw. Yeah, it. yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. That's... I'm always checking out those windows. The little boy doesn't seem to mind. He's like fucking Nintendo DS all I'm, night, baby. Yeah. <laughs> You're playing uh, Super Mario Brothers DS. Why are you going to uh, give a shit when you're playing Mario Kart <laughs> that there's a ghost over your shoulder? <laughs> Couldn't care less, no. that boy. You got a Nintendo. Cool. Um, I uh, um, it looked like it was a reflection from the dark hallway. Remember, this is a two-story house, so no one could be standing outside of that window. Oh, shit. We were all totally freaked out by this, and luckily we moved out a few months later. So, yeah, if it's a dark hallway, why would there be a light reflection coming in from it? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I guess there could be something else in the room, but it is spooky. When we it's showed my gr- spooky. Yeah. When we showed my grandpa this photo, he had an experience where he sees dead people, which is a story for another time. He flat out told us that was a ghost. I decided to share this story because I never correlated my parents' divorce with the weird paranormal activity that happened in the house. I am a firm believer that people's energies could definitely influence spirit slash phenomena to react to those energies. I think that it might have been causing us to have a mini poltergeist. I would love to hear what you guys think. My brother and I give you guys permission to post a picture if you wish. Great. Thank you for reading. I love listening to your podcast. And thank you for continuing to provide humor through this time. Brianna. What do you guys think? Was mom and dad not getting along causing a haunting? Or was the haunting causing mom and dad to not get along? Uh, little, I think it's the holes. yeah. I, it could be a little bit of both, but I think it's the former rather than 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 the latter. In, in other words, you know, when there's when there's trauma, emotional, psychological, 
you know, it, it can manifest in strange ways. I, this is kind of well known in, in, in ghost circles or paranormal circles that, you know, uh, people that are experiencing, uh, you know, tumult and hardship, especially in those like preteen teen years, it can really cause some, you know, phenomena to occur, you know? So I, I think that's what a little bit of might have been what's going on there. Yeah, I think I mean I think that makes a lot of sense. And as much as I want to wish that this was not a face in the window, it really does look like a face in the window. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, still Brian, to this day, man, yeah. I'm I'm always shutting. Like I can't, I don't go to bed with with any of the curtains open, man. I gotta oh, cl- even fuck th- no. There's this one pull down in my bedroom, and even if it's like cracked an inch, I go over and I and I shut, make sure it's all the way down, because all that inch is all an alien gray needs to peer right into my fucking soul, <laughs> and that ain't happening, not on my watch. And I and I shut the closet door too, like because uh, it's a, I have a fully mirrored closet, and I'm like, nope, that's a fucking portal, that's getting shut, and so uh, I, I got to shut the closet too, so. Um, yeah, nothing's getting in, nothing's going out. It's good you have your process. That's good. Yeah, I, I do have a process. <laughs> yeah, he started I'll, it when he was eight years old, and he's never deviated. Although, you know, there is this one other little step, too, that, like, so one of the last things I do is that the front window has a curtain. And as I'm passing by it after locking my front door, I do a little peek out the curtain. And it's, like, just to make sure nothing's out there. But I'm, like, I, I know, I'm, like, Half of me is like, why are you doing this? One day there's something going to be out in that driveway looking back at you, you know, but now it's this habit and I'm just like waiting for the day that like there, there's something peering back. What time do you do this specifically? This is the last thing I, (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Michael, (laughs) you, you. Good one. (laughs) Brianna, it's hard to say. You know, I mean, maybe mom and dad just weren't having a good time and maybe the house was just haunted. But uh, if both were true, then I can't, you know, if we're, we're if we're if we're living in a world where ghosts are real and we are because we proved that ghosts exist, then um, then I can't see how the two wouldn't be feeding off one another. Um, you know, tough to say, but spooky nonetheless. And I don't like that face. Mm-mm. All right. Mm-mm. We're going to. Take a break, hear a word from our sponsor, and when we come back, it's time for this week's story of high strangeness from Spooky Spooky Bryce. And we're back, and it's time for this week's story of high strangeness, brought to you by Bryce O. Johnson, the finest tobacco clean tobacco pipe cleaner in the West. <laughs> Oh man, I want to smoke a tobacco pipe so bad. (laughs) You've really been nostalgic. I have been. Let me tell you something. You've been nostalgic for tobacco and booze products lately, and I am like, I don't know if like Riley and I need to have a talk with you or not. Oh, it's like you know they say it comes in threes, and it. I don't know what that means, but yeah, I've really been like missing drugs and alcohol lately. Oh God! Time to time to rub the rosary. Okay, let's let's just get right on to this story. This is exciting, uh, Bryce. Think, uh, I mean, we're all skirting past this alarming um, cry for help that you're giving us, but uh, <laughs> this is exciting because this is your first I'm story. Stay strong. Hi- stay strong, buddy. We're here to we're here to support you. Um, 
Uh, well, uh, you haven't done a story of high strangeness in a few months now, so this is no, a, I haven't. This is a special treat for all the boys yeah. and girls out there. Well, I'm really excited for this and one. This is, folks, of course. Yeah, th- th- this is a story I've been wanting to do for some time now. So, uh, you know, and kind of following your your lead and uh, some of the advice from our listeners, it is Bigfoot related. So it's nice to get back to some some uh, hairy hominin stories here. Um, so let's jump right in. A hairy homily, if you would. A, a hairy homily, if you will. Look, we've all seen Bigfoot, right? Well, at least I have. <laughs> no, just kidding. I have. I really haven't. But uh, let me rephrase. We've all seen a picture or a video of what we think Bigfoot may in fact look like. But what about what Bigfoot sounds like? Aside from the whoops and hollers and whistles, what if these creatures communicated with one another? Or better yet, what if they were capable of language? And if they were... Where does that put them in an anthropological sense? Well, there are a few individuals who believe they have captured these creatures communicating with one another in a series of recordings known as the Sierra Sounds. Michael, I know you've heard of the Sierra Sounds. Riley, have you ever heard of these? Yeah, totally. We've talked about it a little bit on the show. I think we have. Yeah, exactly. So I'm excited to sort of, uh, you know, get into this and uh, reveal some of these details. Now, it all started back in the early 70s, like so many great things did. It was hunting season, and a man by the name of Ron Moorhead had just heard from his friend Dennis, uh, who was in a state of shock. You see, Dennis had recently fled his hunting camp in the High Sierras, leaving behind his belongings as well as his hunting companions. There was something up there, he said, stalking the camp, something big. Dennis felt bad for leaving his brother Bill and their friends Warren and Lewis Johnson back at the camp, so he asked if Ron would accompany him back up there. Ron, intrigued by just what could have spooked his buddy like that and excited by the prospect of an adventure, jumped at the chance. Let's go. The next day, they drove to the trailhead somewhere in California's Sierra Nevada mountain range at about 6,000 feet. The two men had a gruesome hike ahead of them, and they donned their backpacks and gear and hit the trail, hiking deep into the forest several miles up and over sharp switchbacks until the signs of a trail were all but long gone. When they finally arrived at the secretive campsite, the group nestled, uh, I'm sorry, when they finally arrived at the secretive campsite at about 10,000 feet in altitude with a breathtaking scenic overlook of the valley below, They found the rest of the group. They were packing up the camp, a little unnerved themselves. Ron asked what all the fuss was about, and that's when they showed him an enormous 18-inch footprint in the dirt, toes splayed. What the hell is that, Ron thought. Better yet, what the hell made that? He had seen the Patterson-Gimlin film footage of 1967 depicting a large, hairy, upright creature walking across a sandbar somewhere in Northern California, but he never really gave it too much thought. The rest of the group told Ron that something huge had been stalking around the area of the camp late at night and making all kinds of strange noises, whoops, whistles, and whatnot. Ron's curiosity was immediately piqued, but was not all too excited about having to leave post-haste because, although he had just gotten there, 
It was now time to leave again, but perhaps glancing around at this pristine wilderness in the middle of the nowhere, Ron got a sense that somehow, at this very spot, uh, these heard but unseen creatures would somehow change his life. And of course, that's exactly what happened. As soon as they reached civilization, the group started planning their next outing back to their secret hunting spot. And that's just what they did. The next year, they geared up their hunting supplies along with their horses and packing mules and made their way back up to the spot. The camp had everything they needed, running water, plenty of good timber, and a chock full of good hunting. And in the middle of their campsite was a trio of gigantic solid cedar trees that they tied a wire rope around and attached large deadfall logs to create a makeshift shelter, with the biggest log serving as the door. After a successful deer hunt that day, they made a campfire, ate some fresh venison, and talked about just what the night might have in store for them. They wouldn't be disappointed. Late in the evening, as they were just starting to fall asleep, they started to hear something rummaging around the campsite. Warren, who thought it might be a curious bear, grabbed his flashlight and began to open the shelter's log door, but changed his mind when he heard these deep, guttural grunts, snarls, and what sounded like teeth popping. That was no bear. Whatever it was sounded huge. They knew in an instant that whatever was haunting the camp last year was back. Throughout the night, the creature would walk in and out of camp, where they heard chest beating, and then from seemingly out of nowhere, there were two of them. And strangely enough, it sounded like they were engaged in some type of argument. The next morning, as the men cautiously exited the makeshift shelter, sets of huge footprints were found around the campsite and solidified their fears. Something with a size 20-inch barefoot footprint was traipsing around, but as the dawning light gave them courage, as well as their sidearms and rifles, they continued to enjoy their favorite hunting spot. But their thoughts weren't with what was on the other side of their scopes. They were with their unannounced and uninvited visitors. That night, they devised a plan to get a look at these creatures. They placed a food trap in which they left some cooked bacon under a couple of tin cans on top of a metal skillet. If something went for the bacon, the cans would tip and they would hear it. They also left a huge jug of some tasty punch. The plan was to leave the door to the shelter open and have their flashlights at the ready as they lay to sleep. And when whatever the hell it was making those god-awful sounds came for the free tasty snack, they would rush out of the shelter, flashlights drawn, to get a good look. Probably not the best plan, but they were improvising. Late into the night, their makeshift alarm went off. But by the time they managed to hop out of their sleeping bags, grab their flashlights, and run out, whatever it was was already on the move back into the dark void of the tree line. All they saw was a huge shadowy figure crashing through the alders. The bacon was gone, the punch too, and to their surprise, not a drop was spilled. Just what in the hell were they dealing with here? They went back to bed, but a little creeped out, they decided to close the door on their hut to get some rest. Oh yeah, and they would keep their guns by their side as well. Throughout the night, they heard all kinds of strange noises. It often sounded like there were three, four, sometimes even five of them surrounding their camp. They would whoop at each other from across a great distance, 
zero in closer, and then from what seemed like only 30 feet away, they heard what sounded like these high-pitched bursts of chitter-chatter where these creatures were talking with one another. It just didn't make any sense. What in the hell were these things? We're supposed to be the only upright primates on this planet capable of complex communication, right? The seasoned hunters ruminated on mixed feelings about this sacred camping spot they'd been using throughout the years. Without question, their attitudes and beliefs were being challenged. Nobody wanted to say it, but they were all thinking the same thing. Bigfoot is real. The next year, the men had a new buzz and excitement about going back to the campsite. It was not only a great place to hunt, but a place of profound mystery, where if they played their cards right, perhaps they could get some proof of these creatures' existence. They brought cameras in the hopes of snapping just the right picture, as well as recording equipment that would be able to capture the sounds being made by these denizens of the forest. Unfortunately, it seemed these creatures only made their presence known at nighttime, in the dark. So getting a picture was probably not going to happen. But the sound equipment worked great. And when these giants started interacting with the hunters again, the guys hit record on the tape players. Out of the gut instinct to try and communicate back, the guys would sometimes imitate some of the sounds they were hearing in an effort to promote a dialogue with these things. And oftentimes it worked. Just a friendly nighttime conversation before bed with God knows what. Try for a second, if you can, to imagine what must have been going through their minds as all this was happening, deep in the middle of nowhere, at a campsite high in the Pacific Northwest, a group of sober friends are experiencing the unthinkable and are in direct communication with the missing link. One thing became clear right away, and that was just how intelligent these beings were and the absolute unquestionable authority they emitted over their domain, the forest. A set of rules or guidelines began to form. First off, these creatures didn't seem interested in harming any of the men. Because if they really wanted to, there's no sized log door or shelter, for that matter, that could stop these things from getting to them. And sure, they were armed with high-caliber rifles and guns, but who knows what effect they would have on a creature of that size, let alone getting a clear shot? And to be honest, they didn't really want to find out, which is why they never brandished their weapons at the creatures or fired at them in the first place. You might be thinking, I wonder what would happen if they did try and shoot one. And I might respond, maybe you should go back and listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club episode number 78, Attack at Ape Canyon, with guest Paul James about Fred Beck, who in 1924, along with his ore mining companions, had a, well, let's call it an all-nighter with these creatures where they weren't so appreciative of being shot at. An all-night rager. <laughs> as active as these creatures were at night... They would also catch fleeting glimpses of the monsters during the day, effortlessly stalking behind huge cedars hundreds of yards away. At one point, Ron and Warren thought they had a bead on the creature and went to investigate. But about 30 yards out from where they thought this beast was hiding, they hit a wall, not a literal wall, but a cold, hard feeling deep inside their bones. They couldn't move. It was as if they were hit by a force field. They both looked at each other with the same thought. I can't go another step further. 
knowing what we know now about large mammals' abilities to use infrasound as a communication and hunting tool, is it any wonder that these forest guardians could freeze you in your tracks with an inaudible growl? It's also a well-established fact that tigers use infrasound while they are hunting to temporarily paralyze their prey. And then there was the weird stuff. Like on occasions and always during the day, the guys would hear a ringing sound. It reminded them of one of those giant tuning forks that you use to tune a piano, as well as strange metallic sounds, like the sound of their storage barrels rolling down the hill, which was next to impossible because they were all secured to a tree. And of course, when they checked on them, they were all still there. But probably the strangest of all was the clicking. One night, while the guys were bedding down, they began Bryce, to hear this... I do not like the way you just said clicking. It was... <laughs> it was the same. It oh, was... Really? I don't know what's worse. The wet washcloth <laughs> in the mouth uh-huh. or the way you just said that word. I, oh, the good. hair is standing up on the back of my yeah. neck right now. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad. <laughs> well, wait till you hear about this clicking. Uh, One night... do it again. <laughs> One night, while the boys were bedding down, they began to hear this strange, loud clicking noise. (laughs) But when they exited the hutch to see what it was, there was nothing there. When they went back inside their shelter and closed the door, the clicking sound was now right outside the large wooden door. It was only when the clicking sound moved inside the safety of their shelter that they all became spooked by just whatever this strange noise was. Later, when Ron was back on his Valley Ranch property, tending to his horses, he heard the strange clicking sound again. Just whatever the hell it was had followed him home. Bill, too, had reported hearing the clicking noise back at his home as well. In paranormal circles, they call this a hitchhiker. There seemed to be intentional interactions with the creatures as well, or what is called gifting. The guys like to use dried-up pine cones to start their fires, and and they had a basket of sorts where they placed them. One day, when all the pine cones had been used and the guys were out hiking, they returned only to find that the basket of pine cones had been refilled. Oftentimes, they would leave some cooked food out for Biggie, as they began to call him, and seal the food in a container only something with an opposable thumb could get into. But much to their surprise, Biggie never touched their hanging deer carcasses. Perhaps out of respect for the hunt, they surmised. But they were interested in them, that's for sure, especially when the men noticed a bevy of 22-inch footprints circling the hanging deer. Like always, the hunting season came and went, and the men felt like they were abandoning a fertile discovery zone, but they needed help. Armed with what they considered to be some pretty damned good evidence in terms of sound recordings, it was time to get an expert involved, but cautiously, However, because these men were business owners, and if word got around that they were playing Marco Polo with some wild ape men of the woods, then their pristine reputation was surely in danger of being tarnished. So, Warren quietly wrote a lengthy letter to Ivan T. Sanderson, founder of the Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained, detailing the events that had been taking place at the camp. Dr. Sanderson felt the letter to be genuine and forwarded it to Peter Byrne, a widely recognized Bigfoot researcher in the state of Oregon. 
Peter had a reputation as a big game hunter and safari guide in Nepal who became fascinated with the idea of confirming the Yeti's existence. Here in America, though, his research was limited to Oregon and Washington. But, intrigued by the group's story, Peter Byrne enlisted the help of Alan Barry, a reporter working for the Reading Record Searchlight newspaper in Reading, California. Peter asked Alan to get to the bottom of what was taking place. So, Alan Barry phoned up Warren and basically told him the entire story and played him some of the tapes. Barry was skeptical, but certainly intrigued. He decided to interview each hunter individually and examine the tape cassettes closer. And much to his surprise, with each person he talked to, it became clear that these guys had experienced something seemingly profound. And they weren't the type of people to hoax something like this for notoriety or money. Better yet, they invited him up to the campsite to witness the Sierra sounds for himself. And that's just what he did during the next hunting season. Although Al had a different approach of being there at the campsite, he wanted to get to the bottom of this. Were these guys hoaxing this? Being fooled? Involved in some elaborate prank? Al wanted to know. What was making the sounds on those tapes? So, when the guys went hunting, Al stayed back at camp and took copious notes, documenting as much as he could. Al would later even admit it was hard for him to come to terms with the idea that this Bigfoot creature, who had just recently started to fascinate the American public, could in fact be real. It was only when Al started to hear the rhythmic tree knocking at nighttime, followed by the whoops and whistles, and ultimately culminating in the bursting fits of pattern jibber-jabber, that his view on reality started to blur focus. Because now, he was with the group, eating with them, sleeping with them, watching their every move in this pristine wilderness. He could see for himself they weren't making these sounds. Then there were the tracks they found the following day. It became quite clear, quite fast, that something out of the ordinary was taking place. Alan began taking recordings of his own, and it was a good thing that he did because years later, there would be a fire at Ron's house destroying most of his recordings. Armed with track casts, blurry photos, and what was in their eyes the most prestigious pieces of evidence, the recordings, Ron and Alan sought verification and validation. But where? And from whom? To attain an accepted level of credibility, they needed scientists to get involved, and in an unbiased manner. Alan himself held two degrees in science, one a master's, but the coding language? That really wasn't his area of expertise. They began to write letters, and after receiving dozens of rejections, Al found Professor R. Lynn Curlin out of the University of Wyoming. In 1978, Curlin and one of his students, Lass Heridal, carried out a year-long study which gave the recordings a modicum of credibility. Curlin's conclusions were thus. Having analyzed a tape recording of purported Bigfoot speech using accepted techniques of signal processing, the author concludes that the means and ranges of the recorded pitch and estimated vocal tract length of the speakers indicate the sounds were made by a creature with vocal features corresponding to a larger physical size than man. They also conclude that the tape shows none of the expected signs of being pre-recorded 
or re-recorded at altered speeds and hence diminish the probability of a hoax. After that, the boys started to gain some momentum. Nancy Logan, a human sound expert in the state of California, was court certified in multiple languages and after studying the recordings herself, had this to say. I believe that some sort of primitive communication is going on in the form of primitive language. The first time I listened to the tapes, I thought it was linguistically a little more sophisticated than I do now. After listening to them again, I think that the creatures are a little more animal sounding, but I still think it's language. I challenge anyone to make those exact same noises with the exact same pronunciation and intonation at that speed. It would take an incredible amount of training for a human to make these noises so fluently and spontaneously. The noises also include vocalizations made with what sounds like parts of their vocal tract that native English speakers would have tremendous trouble in learning. They are trying to communicate with you. Interestingly enough, National Geographic had published a study of their own. The title was Inside Animal Minds by William M. Field, who quoted the following from the Great Ape Trust Research in Iowa. Kanzi, a bonobo, is supposedly learning English. We think he may be speaking English words, just too fast and high-pitched for us to decode, wrote Field. But it wasn't until March of 2008, when Moorhead and Barry were contacted by Scott Nelson, a retired naval crypto-linguist serving in naval intelligence. This is exactly what Scott did. He was the expert they were looking for. Scott had logged thousands of hours of voice transcription, claiming perfect pitch. He was trained by the military to decipher code, especially the code of language. And when Scott Nelson heard the Sierra sounds for the first time, he immediately thought he recognized the patterns of language. He asked permission to study the recordings and render an analysis. The boys were elated. Scott and his team went to work, and after several long months, issued the following statement. We have verified that these creatures use language by the human definition of it. The months of hard work that we have put into the study of the Barry Moorhead tapes is finally coming to fruition. The analysis is finished. Although I am still working on parts of the final write-up, such as frequency count tables, I believe that the study of these tapes will never and should never end. With the recognition and acceptance that these creatures do indeed speak and understand a complex language, a greater effort will be made to collect voice recordings and or analysis of the language will improve. Now that we have a precedent and technique established for this study, this process will certainly become easier. By claiming he found complex language embedded in the recordings, Scott stuck his professional neck out on the line and joined the ranks of others who have done the same, like Dr. Grover Krantz, Jeffrey Meldrum, and one who's close to my heart, Dr. Maria Mayer. Moorhead, Barry, and even Scott Nelson would head back up to the Sierras on occasion to unravel the mystery further. But activity had quieted down to a near halt. Moorhead suspected he knew why. For the longest time uh, throughout the 70s, the Bigfoot group didn't seem to be bothered by the weapons the men carried, perhaps because they were never aimed at them. The creatures didn't even seem to mind that they hunted deer. And like all good hunters, the men made a heartfelt ritual of the kill, 
honoring the life of the animal that would feed them. But it was when a bear wandered into their camp one day and got too close for comfort, charging at one of the men who, without hesitation, shot the bear dead in its tracks. It was after that that the activity seemed to cease. Perhaps it was because the bear belonged there and the hunters didn't. Humans were the interlopers, and it seems reasonable to surmise that these gentle giants of the forest had confirmed what they had always known to be true. Men were killers. To close, I'd like to play you just a small sampling of the recordings known as the Sierra Sounds, but I caution you, I urge you to approach them with an open mind. For if your mind is closed, or worse, already set, then they can seem, how shall I say, perhaps comical at first blanche. But maybe you're okay with calling these men liars, or worse, fools, as well as those experts in their chosen field who have rung the bell of scientific inquiry. And the bell tolls this, a mystery is abound. Riley, if you would be so kind. this Sierra sounds and better yet to have them placed in a timeline and a context as they were happening. I highly recommend going to Ron Moorhead's website and purchasing his book voices in the wilderness, which also comes with a downloadable link to the, all the recordings as they were heard. The site is simply ronmoorhead.com spelled R O N M O R E H E A D.com. Thank you. Whoa. Dude, those sounds are that's crazy. I've never actually heard them before. That <clears throat> can you imagine just being in a tent and hearing that? Yeah, <laughs> I mean I well and you can hear the guys too. You you can hear them right up next to the the recorder, you know, saying, you know, and sometimes you can hear the guys clearly sort of speaking back to them, you know, and just the volume that these things create too, especially 
you know, it, when you read the book Voices in the Wilderness, there's so much more recordings of the wood the wood knocking really got me. And then the and then the whoops from across like the the great distances like whooping back and forth to each other. You're just like, "Oh man." You're like, "I guess that's where everybody got this idea of whooping, you know?" And man, it was like it's crystal clear, man. Crazy stuff. That first bit in the segment you just played us where it sounded like these things were in the room with the microphone where do you know where those were recorded like how yeah so they close they, they were for those yeah well they would place several microphones in trees around the campsite okay. the whole the, the campsite is about you know 50 feet in diameter so there's like a stove a bathroom area the shelter that where they hang the deer carcasses you know and they would they would put these microphones in different places and then the wire would lead back into the shelter and as soon as it started happening they would just hit record got it um i mean they certainly are funny you know what i mean like and there are moments where you know, the skeptic side of me is like, I don't know, that could be a person faking it. You know what I mean? Right, right. But some of those lower guttural sounds sound so weird. And and this is also funny, but it also reminds me of if any of you have ever had a bulldog, an English bulldog, like Albie would make weird crazy i would call him his dinosaur baby cries and like some <laughs> of that reminded and i'm i think baby probably does some of this too as as a uh as a as a french frenchie but like some of the weird fucking sounds that would come out of his mouth kind of sounded like that so there's a part yeah. of me that's like okay well this sounds i can see an animal making something like this i'm not saying like a known animal i'm just saying it's weird. The The ones that spook me are the ones that you can really hear from like a distance mm. and you hear that kind of chattering sound. It's, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of this. I really don't. It's very weird though. Riley, you, you what do you think? I have no idea. Honestly, I truly don't. I mean, it, it does sound kind of animal and it does sound kind of human, which sounds very Bigfoot. Um, I, I, I mean, you can speculate on whether it's hoaxed or not, but I think that's just like a dead end as far as like, you know, just thinking about things. Um, Cause like it, it could be, or it's not, but I mean, we're never going to really prove that one way or the other. So mm. if you just take it at face value, it's, it's interesting and it's strange. And um, it's really one of the weirdest sounding like vocalizations I've ever heard. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's parts in the, in the CD, and you know, if you go to his website, you can download the entire CD. There's about thirty different tracks of of sounds, you know. So I mean, there's just hours of the stuff, and uh, you know, some of the guys thought, you know, perhaps they were like, because sometimes it sounded like these were they were like imitating human speech. You know what I mean? Like they had traveled around to different campsites. They as observing campsites in the middle of the night, you know, campfires, they probably heard people talking all the time, you know, and they would maybe try and pick it up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and especially if, if Bigfoot, if Bigfoot creatures, Bigfoot animals, like mimic sounds of the forest, which that's part of the lore as well. Then why would they? 
that mimic was the, the other sounds thing. of people in the woods. Yeah, that was the other thing. They all felt that these creatures could were experts in mimicry and could throw their voices as well. So they would they they would hear like these strange bird sounds and these other mimicry, and they thought like that was close to a bird, but that wasn't a bird. You know what I mean? And then, you know, there was one time he recalls where like he saw one. It was daytime, and he sees one sort of behind a tree, and uh, you know, he can sort of see the outline of the creature. And then from the side, he hears like a, like a whoop, you know, like a, like a loud, and he, and just as a natural instinct, he sort of turns his head. And when he goes back, it's gone. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like mm-hmm. they use this, it's like, they know how to, you know, distract you, fuck with you. I mean, they're masters of this domain, you know? The the thing you said about chimpanzees trying to speak human, but it's high pitched and it's too fast. Speak human, oh my god! Speak a language, a human language. That blew my mind. That is very weird to think about. Um, I just wanted to note that. Um, the 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 thing that weirds me out is like, okay, I get on face value if these things are real, they might sound like this. But what is the ringing and the metal clanking sounds? And did they get that on tape as well? Yeah, right. Well, uh, I do believe they had some of the uh, the metallic sounds. I didn't. I I didn't go through all the. Tracks, I think I've but... heard that on a documentary. You know. Well, um, here's 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 the thing. You know, in in David Polites, uh Missing Four One One, The Hunted, he speaks with Ron Moorhead. Uh, and, and Ron Moorhead goes into a little bit more detail about some of the, the stranger aspects of what they were experiencing. Like one time, you know, Ron says in that video that, you know, they're inside the shelter, it's the middle of the night and, and literally right outside the shelter, they heard car doors shutting like fucking car doors. There's no cars for miles. You know what what I mean? Let alone inside their camp. And then get this, they also saw these lights that would travel through their camp. Not orbs, but more like like these long rods, almost like imagine a lightsaber just sort of traveling leisurely through the camp, you know? See, this is why people don't tell these full stories, because of the right. weird shit like this. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it is a thing where you're like, it's crazy enough that I think there's a fucking like bipedal hominid marching around in the woods. If yeah. I have to add the lights and the car slamming sounds, then no one's going to believe no me. One. It's no almost one. as if right. it's almost as if to preserve. And I know this is absurd, but it's almost as if to preserve their existence and keep people away. It's like Bigfoot have the ability to make them feel like they're crazy. People are crazy. <laughs> Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So they won't that's tell like, people about them. That's like the Bill Murray stories that you always hear. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like people will meet Bill Murray and he'll do some weird thing, and then he'll be like, "No one will ever believe this." Oh, and right, then yeah, walk, and then yeah. He'll walk away. Yeah. So that's the that's what Biggie's doing. Well, you know what part really stuck out to me was this idea of when they hear when they would hear this loud ringing, like the sound of a tuning fork. Do you know where we've heard that before? In UFO contactee cases, right before someone's about to see a UFO or get fucking beamed up, 
you know, all the sound goes quiet and they hear a ringing in their ear, like the sound of a fucking tuning fork, you know, to me, it's just more evidence that something's going on with these creatures of the wilderness. You know, I, I think, I think if we keep exploring this mystery in years to come, you know, the researchers that are still stuck on this idea of these things just being an unconfirmed flesh and blood North American wood ape are going to be left in the dust. Nice. Bold. I like it. Stand by that. Well, well done, Bryce. That, I have to say, is one of your best stories of high strangeness. You crushed it, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Well done. And you also thoroughly creeped us out. Collect. Don't do that anymore. Clicking. You sound like John Travolta introducing Adina Menzel at the the wickedly talented Nazim Adele or whatever. (laughs) But how weird is that, right? That the clicking followed these guys home. Like, what the fuck is that about? You know? That's insane. I don't know. This is high strangeness at its finest. Well done. I don't know. A lot to think about or never think about again. It's up to you, dear listener. (laughs) Um, All right. This about wraps up uh, another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. We're back. Year five is off to a lean, mean start. Um, we are going to stick around and do some Patreon shout outs and thank the people who have signed up for BCC the other side, uh, between over the hiatus, I should say. Uh, so stick around for that, uh, especially if you want to hear your name and you know it's coming. Um, uh, in the meantime, plugs anybody got anything to plug? Spindrift Records starts streaming on February 4th. The records are shipping now. I finally just got my copy. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's a great vinyl, by the way. It looks good, and uh, it sounds good, too. Thanks, man. Bryce, anything Uh, you want to plug? uh, Expedition Bigfoot Season 3 coming soon. Uh, Can't reveal just the date yet, but it is coming around the corner. So look out for that. Fantastic. And I should be having an announcement for a fun project I've been working on over the break soon. Um, Nothing set in stone yet in terms of when it will be available to people. So I will keep you posted. Of course, uh, Club Scouts will be the first to know. So watch this space. Okay, everybody, stick around. Here we're going to do some Patreon shout-outs. You boys ready? Bryce, you're going to say thanks, and then Riley, you're going to say thanks. Ready? Copy. Here we go. Nova Zero. Thank you. Justin Sergi. Thanks. Sarah Stenquist. Thanks, Sarah. Ross Cheever. Thank you. Demi Ray. Thank you. Ian Sayer. Thank you. Alan Kapowski. Thanks, Alan. Ryan Buell. Thanks, Ryan. Brian Jones. Thank you. Jason Wissinger. Thanks. Antonio Vento. Thank you, Antonio. Von Schroeder. Thanks, Von. Tori. Thank you. Thomas Kelly. Thank you, Thomas. Y- Una Rose. Thank you. Tamra Peak. Thanks, Tom. Tamra, sorry. Tamra, Tamra. Peak. What makes Tamra, too? Yeah. Gordon Steinberg. Thanks, Gordon. Nimbus Fly Hunter. We have a uh, a Harry Potter fan. Thanks, Nimbus. Corey Miller. Thank you. Randall L. Nall. 
Thank you. Manny Villalobos. Thanks. Chris Sweet. Thank you. Annie Saunders. Thank you, Annie. Cameron Romines. Thanks, Cameron. Nicole Chisholm. Thank you. Sharon. Thanks, Sharon. Christina Niddle. Thanks, Christina. Julie Steiger. Thank you. James Verberg. Thank you. Brian Jones. Brian Jones again. Thanks again. He's a, he's back twice. He dipped out. He dipped back in. Danny Moe. Thanks, Danny. Timothy. Thank you. Stephanie Woodward. Thank you. Crystal. There you go. Thanks, Crystal. James Barnes. Thanks, James. Wait, James Buchanan Barnes? Bucky Barnes from Captain America? The Winter Soldier himself? <laughs> Tyson Thank Stoddard. Thank you, Winter Soldier. <laughs> Thanks, Winter Soldier. Tyson Stoddard. Thank you. Tori. Thanks, Tori. MW8. Thank you. Got droids listening now. Ian Swerka. Thank you. Thomas Moreska. Thank you, Thomas. Katie Hare. Thank you. Hunter Smith. Thanks, Hunter. Stephanie Powers. Thanks, Stephanie. Shannon Watson. Thank you. David Misson. Thanks, David. Frida Masters. Thank you, Frida. Waffles. Thanks, Waffles. Rubber Ducky. <laughs> Thanks, Rubber Ducky. Jude Temple. Thank you. Ian Allister. Thank you. Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. Isaac Carrillo. Thank you. Or Carrillo. Samantha Spirito. Thank you. And finally, coming in moments before we started recording, Brett Swinson. Thanks, Brett. These Thank are all folks you. who have wow. joined the Patreon since uh, since our last for new episode. I almost said first episode. Over the hiatus, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for keeping the show alive by joining BCC, the other side, over at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Until next week, everyone, good night and go get regressed. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their case has had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. 
Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.